chapter 3, and the words should come up on the screen. Uh, we're reading from verses 14 to 19. So this is now the Apostle Paul who is uh, writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then our next reading are the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Andy. Good morning. Uh, it's a few years ago, uh, we came across uh, this place, um, and uh, these crazy folks who uh, uh, like taking their life in their hands, and um, thousands of feet up in the Alps, um, and they're literally walking across this uh, tightrope, um, highliners, uh, as they're known. And uh, I think the key to be able to do this is twofold, threefold if you include complete stupidity. Um, and the first is the ability to balance. So not falling to the left and not falling to the right, but absolutely staying uh, on that, the, the middle road, the tightrope, if you like, in that. And the second is because it's called a tightrope. And the reason it's called a tightrope is because it's tight. There's a tension put into it which limits its kind of wob wobbly ability, whatever the word is. Okay? So it's important that you have that tension to be able to do that. Similarly with a guitar string. Um, if a guitar string is too loose, um, then you, you can't hear it at all. Um, if it's taut and tuned, then you can get a nice E, G, C, whatever notes you might have. It. But if you tighten it too much, and the guitarist will tell you, snap, and, uh, and off it goes. That's not a little use either. So it's getting the tension right uh, with it. Also, in, uh, in our workplaces um, and in our lives, um, there's this graph of how productive we are uh, versus the stress that we have in life. So, for example, if there's not enough stress in the workplace, then you probably just get bored. You're just sitting there waiting for something else to do, um, and life is not that enjoyable. But at the other extreme, where there's far too many deadlines, far too many uh, things to get to, then that eventually can lead to meltdown, you know, and that can be physical breakdown, mental health, uh, relational, whatever, but that is not the place to be either. And the most productive bit of the graph is in the middle. That is where you've got good guidelines, you've got good goals, you've got good aims, you've got good deadlines, and that is when we are the most productive uh, in life. And uh, the sweet spot is finding that middle place. And so the Christian life is also a little bit like that. There are tensions in the Christian life. There are, there are things that we have to hold in balance in different ways, like the tightrope walker. Um, there may be things that you, it's not that or that, but it's holding the two together. Or it may be the, the tensions in the rope where you have to pull them together. And the truth is that although they're pulling in opposite directions, it's a both and approach 
to life. So for example, the, the Bible talks about being poor. We can be physically poor, but spiritually rich. Um, it talks about the now of God's kingdom and that we can know his presence and his blessing and his healing in this life. And yet there's the not yet of heaven still to come where we see it in its fullness. Um, that we can go through suffering in this life and yet in the middle of it, we can be joyful. Uh, we, can, we have to hold grace and truth together. We have to work, hold the word of God and the spirit of God together. And that's where we find his power. And so this series that we're embarking upon is called kind of whatever that is, and the ampersand, um, embracing the tensions of life and of faith uh, as well. And I thought you might be interested to know uh, where this comes from. I was, so uh, here you go, whether you're interested or not. <laughs> it comes from the Latin word et, E-T, just means and. So we get things like et cetera, which means uh, and the rest, uh, for example. And at some point, they decided that uh, they would put it into one letter. So the E and the T would be joined together, and then a few little flourishes along. It looks a bit like that, a curly E and a T, and that is where we get our ampersand from. And uh, even though it actually was the 27th letter of the alphabet in the 1800s, uh, that's what you had to learn at school, apparently. There it is at the bottom. And it comes from the phrase and per se sand, uh, or and, sorry, which basically means the symbol and is in itself the and. So the squiggle equals and is basically what it means. So anyway, there we go. Completely uh, irrelevant, but um, not irrelevant, but useless information. But I knew somebody would ask me at the end, so I've done, the, I've done all the Googling for you. And uh, today's focus is the and of wide and narrow, or narrow and wide. How easy is it to find God? And I want to start by looking at the wide, because God's love is wide. Uh, you know, the, the Sunday school song goes, wide, wide as the ocean. Uh, we've read this morning, Marcus read to us about the width, the width of God's love. I pray that you will grasp how wide and long and high, high and deep is the love of Christ. God's love is so wide. It extends to every single person in the world. Um, it includes everyone that he's ever created, says Psalm 145. God has never made a person that he didn't love. He loves you unconditionally as we've been reminded of this morning. His love is everywhere. There is no place that we can go where God isn't. Um, and as you read the pages of the Gospels and of Jesus' life, you're continually drawn to this um, scandalous inclusion that Jesus has for people, even including the last, the least, and the lost uh, in our lives and in our world. To the highways and the byways, he sends us. He says, invite everyone uh, in. And we read how far his love will go. You know, he will, for one person, for one soul, um, we read of his commitment in the three parables in Luke chapter 15. The woman with the lost coin, uh, the shepherd with the lost sheep, uh, the, the father with the lost son. And how it warrants an all-out search in those situations. Although the father deems it slightly wiser to wait, he's scanning the horizon all the time, searching and waiting for his, uh, his son to return. And, uh, and after that search, you know, whether it's the shepherd leaving the 99 to go to the ravines or whatever to find that one sheep or the woman sweeping a house for the coin, that search for people is then comes when they find it in this incredible celebration, this joy of God, the extravagantly wide love of God that is there. And he tells another parable. Uh, many of us will be familiar with the parable of the sower. 
where the farmer goes to sow his seed. And that seed lands, some of it lands on the path and the birds uh, eat it up. Some of it lands on the rocky places and uh, it can't get enough roots. So when it grows and the sun comes out, it's scorched. Some of it lands on the, uh, in, the, in the soil where the weeds grow with it and choke it eventually so it's not fruitful. And some of it lands on the good soil where these great ears of corn, uh, great ears of wheat, um, our heads of wheat are formed. And the seed of God's word is to be sown widely. You know, this is about sowing widely, almost wastefully. Okay, it, is, it doesn't say just sow it on the good soil. It says sow it everywhere. Okay, it says it will have different responses. And, uh, and even here, on a good day, maybe 25% response for this farmer. And if we expect more than Jesus expected, then we're probably deluding ourselves. We're to expect the, the different responses to um, to the word of God and the love of God that we, we express to people. So even here, some of it initially looks, looks promising, but actually it's only the soil, the good soil, where we actually see fruitfulness uh, as a result. And, um, and so we need to be prepared for both fruitfulness, but also for um, kind of the rejection of that, the non-fruitful response. That is a normal response as we share um, the message that we have. And it's impossible to predict exactly where that good soil is going to be. Only God knows that. And, uh, and therefore, our responsibility is to sow as widely as possible. I can remember one summer, I got involved in a mission called Love Europe, um, and I ended up in Glasgow, and we were supposed to be communicating with the Asian community, and the two people who came to faith, one was an African and one was a Latin American. Okay, you've got no idea what God is up to and how it is going to work, but what you do is you sow and you share and you reach out uh, as you can and where you are. In contrast, we tried to predetermine. We tried to determine, we'll decide whose response, who's going to respond, and we'll share it with them and no one else. But actually, it's really like that. God's love is wide. And, uh, you know, we've had a couple of resources available, um, you know, praying for the Muslim world. Um, I think there's a few left for the kids now. I think the other ones are gone, which is great that people are praying wide. And also that uh, the Sharing Hope in Crisis training that's coming up uh, a week on Monday and Tuesday. Um, again, details in Outlook about that, which just is a way to how we express our, um, our love for people going through crisis situations and to be trained uh, in that. Matthew uh, records this parable in Matthew uh, verse, in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 13 of his, his gospel. And he then he continues with a, a related kingdom parable, which is the parable of the weeds, or the, the, the wheat and tares, as it's sometimes known in verses 24 to 30. So he tells this other parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his fields. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and, uh, and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your, in your fields? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
And later Jesus explains the parable and he says that Jesus is the sower, the field is the world, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, the people of the kingdom, the weeds are those not of the kingdom but of the evil one, the harvest is the end of the age, the end of human history where we give accounts before God and the harvesters are the angels who go to gather all the people of the kingdom who will shine like the light of the sun. And uh, although Jesus sows the good seeds, there is one who's also planting weeds. And overnight, they grew up alongside each other. But what Jesus teaches here is maybe slightly challenging. He says, don't rip up the weeds. Don't rip up the weeds. Leave them to the final day of judgment because in ripping up the weeds, we may damage the wheat. And so the kingdom worker, as Christians, we are to focus on sowing the seeds, not sorting the weeds out. Okay, we are to sow the seeds. We are to sow it as widely as possible. Um, there will be people who are, are counterfeit followers, if you like. You know, they, they might seem like Christians, but actually they're not necessarily. Jesus had this himself you know, with Judas, uh, part of his, his team that followed him, and yet Judas betrayed him. His heart wasn't right. But what he says is effectively, or seems to be saying, is don't judge other people. That is not your work. That is God's work. Okay, and if you pull up the weeds to clean up the group or clean up the community, that often damages the wheat. And there are lots of broken churches where, where that's happened too often. Instead, he says, focus on sowing the seed widely. Focus on the love of God getting out there and feeding people with good, good spiritual food. But it must raise a question for each one of us, and that is to check that we are in the faith. Okay? Are we definitely a wheat? Are we not a weed? Okay, We do have to ask that question. You know, just coming to church doesn't make you a wheat. Okay? Having a, a Christian partner or a Christian parent doesn't necessarily make you a wheat. And so the question is, whose disciple are you? And this is for each one of us. Who do we really follow in life? Who teaches you how to do life? Because every one of us is shaped by someone. Okay, we all have to learn how to do life. Um, we have to learn and we have to keep learning it from others. You know, and the next bit of life comes along and we have to learn how to do the next bit of life. Um, so we're continually on that, that learning process. I, it may be from parents, it may be from teachers, it may be your peers. It may be you think, well, I'm my own person, actually. Nobody tells me what to do. I just, I've mastered, I just do it myself. But actually, that's a, a kind of individualistic cultural thing that probably somebody has taught us or we've picked up from somewhere in culture or through the media uh, or through others. Probably the reality is most of us or all of us have got several somebodies um, in our life. Okay? And it's likely that not all of them are the best for us. Okay, it may even be that actually they, they pull in slightly di different directions and we are, we sometimes we're uncertain of which way to go. But in life, it starts with those that bring us up. It starts with our parents, our guardians, our siblings, influences in that. Um, then it's our teachers um, and our friends and our peers. Sometimes it's a gang that we get involved with or a, a, a team that we get involved with or a, uh, a club or a, a movement that we join and that influences in that. Uh, depending on what job you go into, it can influence you. So, you know, if you go into the army, you have some quite powerful instructors that shape your life. If you go into a university situation, it's supervisors, teachers, professors that shape our lives. Um, it may be some political figure that becomes the person that you start following and some, uh, um, you know, ideology. Uh, it may be a celebrity. It may be, you know, a musician 
Or it may even just be a song that someone has written that so shapes your life that these are the words, these become your life rule, if you like, um, as well. There's lots of things that have big power on our lives, sports stars and all sorts of celebrities, other professionals. Because every one of us is looking for a way to live life. We're looking for a compass in our life of how do we do life. And the truth is, it's so deep in us, it, it doesn't matter to us if it's right or wrong sometimes. As long as we've got something that helps us to make decisions and live our lives, then that is fine. And we don't always check it. So the question is, whose disciple are you? Okay, are you really wheat? Who do you really follow? Um, I love this. This is from the message version of Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. It's a paraphrase. Um, and it puts it brilliantly. It says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. And this is a paraphrase of uh, how the NIV translates it. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus' basic message through his ministry was rethink your life in the light of the fact that, that, that heaven is now open to you, that all of the resources of heaven are now open to you. The kingdom of heaven is near, said Jesus, and repent. Rethink your life uh, in the light of that. Follow me, be my students, be my apprentice in kingdom living, be my disciple, and you will produce much fruit through your life. So wide is his love, wide is his invitation, but narrow is the gate, narrow is the path that leads to life. Uh, Jesus himself had thousands of people, crowds of people. You know, there's the 5,000 he had to feed because they were, they were after him and hadn't brought any food. There was thousands of people after Jesus. But after his death, there was just a few hundred. Okay? It went from wide to narrow when they started to look at what it really meant to live this life. And he says here there are two gates that we can go through. There are two paths that we can walk along. And there are two destinations at the, at the end of it. And the broad path... The wide gate is crowded. It's the one where most people in this world seem to go. As um, the message puts it, the market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Maximum pleasure, maximum money, maximum success. It's all about me, whatever suits us. And yet, this broad path, says Jesus, leads to destruction. Now, it doesn't have a big signpost on it saying destruction this way. Okay? It comes with an incredibly glossy brochure. And if it's even mentioned at all, it's in size 2 font in the small print somewhere, in light gray that is barely legible. And um, there it is. But the narrow path, the narrow gate, is the one that leads to life. And he says, far fewer find it. And then Matthew captures this teaching of Jesus um, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. And then he carries on in the next verses with four pictures that unpack what the small print looks like. Because he wants to help us not to miss the path into real life uh, with him. So the first of those is in the very next verse, verse 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets, he says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Jesus warns us, all, warns all of us against those who will mislead us in life. There are so many people who just will mislead us. There are so many voices in our world. Um, they may look good on the outside, but inwardly they're led by their own desires. And the whole of Jesus' teaching has been uh, about, it don't look on the outside, it's what's on the inside. Okay, it's not the show on the outside, right? look at the heart. And the whole of this sermon has been about this. So we know that is where the action is. And um, he goes on and uh, he, he basically says, you know, outwardly they look like nice fluffy sheep. But inwardly, they just want to eat the sheep. Okay, they just want to use people and the, for their purposes. So that in life, whose disciple are we? But beware that we are not misled. He then goes on to teach us that the key to identifying uh, them is to watch what they do, not what they say. Okay, so it's about looking at what they, how they live their lives every day. And he goes on and says, that is where the fruit is. Every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. And uh, a tree that's got disease, often you can't tell on the outside. It's only when you slice it through the middle you realize it's rotten up, up the middle of the trunk or something. Or when the fruit then appears and it's diseased because of virus, bacteria, fungi, whatever it might be. Every good tree bears good fruit. So look for that fruit of character. And it is the fruit of inner character in someone. It's not the outward stuff. It's not the public performance stuff. It's what they're like in private. It's what they're like in their real lives, in their families, in their communities, in their workplaces, you know, and all the rest of it. In fact, he moves on and he says, even people claim to be Christians and have apparently done amazing things in his name. He says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. And this is a picture of final judgment. It's a, it's a picture of standing before God and determining our destination. And he says those to be trusted are those who have actually learned to do what Jesus has taught is the best way to live. Calling him Lord and doing amazing, astonishing things in his name is no substitute for simply doing the will of the Father, verse 21, which is to believe in his Son, in Jesus, to follow and live out his ways wholeheartedly and to find fulfillment in joyful obedience to him, walking on that narrow path. And so the question is, whose disciple are we? The fourth picture is one that may be familiar to many of us, which is the um, the verse is about the two houses building the, the house on the sand and the house on the rock. This is the guy who's been digging uh, for a long time. He's been digging the trenches. He's been digging down uh, to get right down to the rock that he can build this house on. And uh, one builds it on the rock, one builds it on sand. Both of them are hit by storms, but only one of them stands, and that's the one with the rock foundations. Again, it's a picture of life. What do we build our lives on? It's another way of saying, is it the narrow path or is it the wide path? through our lives and it's when we hear his words and put them into practice and live them out that we are building the house of our lives to be totally indestructible and when we don't we are effectively exempting ourselves we're walking out of the place of God's promises and God's blessing in our life it isn't an easy life 
Okay, the Christian life, the narrow path is difficult. Literally, the word means difficult, hard-pressed. It's, it's closing in a little bit. It is narrow. It is difficult. But it comes with the promises of God, and it comes with the presence of God and the blessing of God. And Jesus' commitment is to be with us. Okay, that's the path that he is on. That's the path he will walk with someone on as you go through life. And at the very last verse of Matthew's gospel, he says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. That are Jesus' words. Now, we might prefer the crowds rather than walking against the crowds. It feels like swimming against the tide. And it may be that the crowd, we think that's easier because that's, that's the way it pushes us. But actually, that is not the place where God is. And he is the one that will empower us to live and says, I, you can live this life. I call you to this. I will empower you uh, to live it uh, with the, in this way. I will make all provision required for you to live on the narrow path. That is the promise of God. Heaven is open to you. And if you follow him as a, as a student of life, um, as his apprentice in the kingdom, then all of these promises are yours. All of these provisions are available. But when we don't, then actually we, we walk out. It's like we're trying to cash a check or use somebody's kind of cash card on someone else's account, okay? Most of the time it doesn't work. It might work now and again, but most of the time it doesn't work because it's not our account. But when you're on the narrow path, we are walking in Christ and we're in his account as it were. And then all of that becomes available to us. It is a faith thing, but it's a trust thing, but it's a real thing. And uh, we trust him, we obey him, and then we walk in his blessing. The disciples were Jesus' apprentices. Okay? They, for those three years, they walked with Jesus. They kind of did everything with Jesus. They learned about the width of his love, the breadth of his inclusion of people and how he, how he operated. They saw him with remarkable ways just ministering into people's lives. But also they learned the narrow way of discipleship and the challenge of that. You know, he said, if you want to follow me, foxes have holes, but you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There are challenges uh, in this life. Um, and then Jesus leaves his disciples and he, he goes to heaven, but he promises them. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Say, I promise another one. Provision has been made for us all still to be with Jesus in our daily lives through the Spirit of God. He says, I will promise you the Spirit of God will be with you. John chapter 14, he goes into great detail. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, um, a strengthener, if you like, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Literally, the Spirit is this strengthener. He's, he's the one who comes alongside us to help, to help us to walk on the narrow path of life. And uh, the human world, most the normal, natural human world, doesn't see him. He's invisible. You can't, be, you can't get him with your five senses. And because it can't see him, then it cannot know him. And yet Jesus says this is a possibility uh, through him. Because God is spiritual in nature. This whole life is spiritual in nature. And so the narrow path, although we're called to it, we are not left alone. 
I mean, the truth is you're not on it alone, okay? There are others. There may be far fewer, but there are others walking alongside it, and we need to find those uh, around us because that's encouragement into our lives. But on it, we can spend time with Jesus and be changed because he is present by the Spirit of God. And so the reality of the kingdom life is an inner one, okay? The kingdom of God is within us. Um, It starts in the hidden place. It starts in the secret place with the Father, of coming before him and relying on his resource, knowing his spirit in our lives, engulfing us, um, his promise, his presence, um, or his commitment to us on the narrow path. And what he says is, I will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Okay, although it's a challenge, there's incredible promise with it. And that promise then goes wide again. The end of uh, Acts 2, doesn't it? He says, this says, this promise is not just for a little group of disciples. This promise is for the whole of Jerusalem. It's for the whole of the world. It's for every generation. And it's for every ethnos across the, the globe. Okay? It's for everyone. So it, it starts wide. The power of it is in the narrow, but then it goes wide again. And, uh, and that is for each one of us today, the promise of God's spirit in our lives. So as we land this this morning, the question again is, whose disciple are you really? Whose disciple do you want to be? And will it lead ultimately to destruction or will it lead to everlasting life? And for each one of us to rethink our lives in the light of the fact that heaven is now open to us, the resource of heaven is available to us, but it's our choice. Let's pray together. Maybe the band could come up. And I want to I use that prayer that, that Marcus prayed from Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians as we just respond now in our hearts. Let's just settle our hearts before God. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And let's just take a moment now just to respond to God in our hearts. It may be this morning that that you recognize you've, you've been traveling on the wide path and you just simply need to receive his forgiveness this morning. His forgiveness is there. His forgiveness is complete. And maybe that's your response this morning. 